Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are many different jobs that involve service. Last weekend during Fall Festival, we had a prayer ceremony which celebrated the service of our first responders, those who help keep us safe on a daily basis. In a few Sundays, on Sunday, November 14th, we're going to have a special prayer and ceremony for our veterans, those who keep us safe at home and abroad. We're so thankful for these people that they have given their life to serve their country and serve their community. Or maybe when you hear the word service, you think of customer service. It's that person that you call when half of your Abiding Grace mugs arrive broken and in pieces. Or it's that person at the restaurant who takes your order. They're the person who gets you your food at the right time. You know, there's that mantra, the customer is always right. And so as customers, we want our Abiding Grace mugs to arrive in one piece. And we want our food to come out hot and how we like it. Jesus, in our gospel for day, today, he talked about his attitude towards service. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We see that service foretold in Isaiah 53 as the righteous servant suffers on behalf of sinners and then returns to life to give new life. Jesus, our righteous servant, is truly at your service. The book of Isaiah contains many, many prophecies. These prophecies aren't always in a particular chronological order. Many of the prophecies that Isaiah gives are calls to repentance to the northern tribes of Israel. Israel had begun to rebel against God. They were forsaking him and his will and, and turning to idols. So Isaiah calls them to repent. Turn back to God and he'll forgive you. However, many of these people didn't repent. Instead, they kept on sinning. So God sent the Assyrian army and in 722 B.C., the Assyrians swept through and completely destroyed northern Israel, scattering it forever. Isaiah also gives other prophecies that seem to have taken place after this destruction in 722. Our text for this morning, Isaiah 53, seems to have taken place from that time period. Isaiah begins to give comfort to people who feel broken and crushed, people who need help. When we think of people who need help today, we typically think of a strong and mighty warrior coming to save them. Think about how we portray this in our media. You see the, the training montage where the hero gets stronger and stronger so that he can go out and take back his captured loved one. Or it's superhero movies where we see these physically dominant, dynamic figures who are capable of saving the entire world. That's the kind of person who we might expect Isaiah to be talking about. Someone who is mighty. Someone who can take a strong villain and crush them with superior strength. But instead of describing a, a mighty warrior, Isaiah describes a servant who would come and rescue God's people. At this time, servants would have been the low rung on the totem pole, the lowest of the low. If you were watching an 8th century super, superhero movie, 
You wouldn't expect the servant to save the day. Maybe you would instead expect the master, someone who has lots and lots of servants, that person to save the day. Think about the story of Abraham. Abraham had many, many, many servants, so many servants, in fact, that he was able to overtake and defeat a coalition of kings which had captured his nephew Lot. Or think about Joshua leading Israel into the promised land with a large army, defeating any foe in his path. Or think about King David who wins numerous military battles as he defends the nation of Israel against its enemies. But Isaiah doesn't describe one of these mighty warriors, not a mighty master with lots of power and strength. Instead, he describes a servant. And not even a servant who's got a sword and shield, but a servant who gets crushed and pulverized. Not a popular and well-liked servant, but a servant who is numbered with the transgressors. A servant who this world would consider to be a loser. And not a servant who stands up and protects the life of his nation, but a servant who pours out his life unto death. To us, it seems like this servant accomplishes nothing at all. No one likes him. He suffers. He dies. But that could not be further from the truth. That servant, he was living the life that we all deserved. By our continuous rebelling against the law of God, we deserve punishment. We deserve to be crushed. Time and time again, we exert our wills instead of conforming our lives to the will of God. And for these sins, we deserve to be punished. We need help. But instead of us enduring that punishment, the servant, the righteous servant, he swapped places with us. Jesus, he was that servant. He came and he endured what we deserved. He was despised by men. He was punished like a criminal. He gave up his life on the cross. And Jesus, he knew what he was getting himself into. He told his disciples as much in our gospel lesson for today. He had told them, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will be handed over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him. Flog him and kill him. Jesus is rightly called the suffering servant. He stepped in and endured the punishment that we deserve. So cruel and so agonizing was this punishment that Jesus endured. But someone had to be punished for our sins and transgressions. If God left these things unpunished, if he didn't punish sin... He wouldn't be a just God. But instead of punishing us for our transgressions, he instead punished Jesus. Jesus, he suffered in our place. He served us by taking on that punishment. But Jesus did more than just suffer for us. He returned from the grave to give us new life. After Jesus' suffering and death, that wasn't the end of the picture. Isaiah says that he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Who are these offspring that Jesus is going to see? These offspring that, Jesus, uh, that Isaiah is describing? Recall the story of Abram. 
Abram was that 75-year-old man from Ur who God called and told Abraham to leave all of his belongings behind and travel to a new land, a land that God would show him. When Abram finally got to that new land, God told him to look up and count the stars as if that was possible. And he said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. God would later change Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many. Abraham would be the patriarch of the nation of Israel, a physical nation of God's chosen people whom he would send the Savior through that line. But Abraham was more than just a physical patriarch. Abraham was a spiritual patriarch uh, to a nation that transcends borders and time and space, Abraham was the spiritual patriarch of all who believed in the Lord as their God, just as Abraham believed in the Lord as his God. These offspring are those who trust in their suffering Savior to forgive their sins. We are these offspring. And as God's offspring, we trust in more than just a Savior who died and stayed dead. We trust, it, we trust in a Savior who prolonged his days Jesus told his disciples that he was going to rise from the dead. He said to them, three days later, the Son of Man will rise. And Jesus, he emerged from that tomb on Easter morning alive, never to be dead again. He had defeated death forever, crushing death in its past. Not only did he suffer for us, but he was raised to life. And this resurrection, it was more than just for Christ's benefit. He did it for all of us. Now we who trust in Jesus as our Savior, all of our days will be prolonged as well. We have this amazing promise that regardless of how many years we live here on earth, we've got an eternity waiting for us. We've got a spot in heaven prepared for us by our Heavenly Father. What an amazing, that blessing, what an amazing blessing it is to be God's offspring. What's our response to this amazing service demonstrated by Jesus? I think Paul gives us a pretty amazing example. From our second lesson in 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul had said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Our salvation is a free gift given to us by God. And Paul, he didn't see this free gift as something to lord over other people or or something to be used just for his own advantage. Instead, Paul saw this free gift of salvation as an opportunity to go out and serve other people, to make himself a slave to everyone. We have that same privilege today, that opportunity to go to someone and tell them, I'm at your service. That can take many different forms. Maybe it's helping someone move from one house to another house. Or maybe it's seeing someone who doesn't have anything to eat and giving them some food. Or maybe it's being there to listen as a friend pours out their heart. However we serve, we understand that our service is a reflection of the service that we first received from Jesus. There's many people who are going to tell us, I'm at your service. And while we appreciate their earthly service to us, that service does nothing to change our problem of sin. Instead, we needed a servant, a righteous servant, 
to step in and serve us by suffering in our place and rising so that we can have a new life. Jesus is that servant. He prolongs our days forever. Now we have that hope to be with our master in heaven forever, enjoying the bliss that our Savior has to offer us for eternity. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.